Welcome to Inside the Labyrinth Podcast. This is one of your co-hosts speaking, Frank. I am an active New York City police officer, and I'm part of Reps for Responders. I've had the honor and privilege to journey through the labyrinth with my other host, Jay, the real Jumpman Jay on Instagram. He's a veteran officer and also part of the SWAT team in one of the cities in New York. We would just like to thank you for journeying through the labyrinth with some of the great guests that we have had on the show so far. We will continue to make episodes with all the positive feedback that we have received. If anyone has any idea, topic, or anyone we would like to interview, please email us at repsforresponders at gmail.com. Reps for Responders is a nonprofit out of Rockland County, New York. We provide free open gym for all active, retired, and volunteer first responders, military, and veteran. Reps for Responders also has a weekly Zoom meeting, which is a support group every Sunday at 7 p.m. to let first responders and military let off steam or talk about anything that they want to talk about, positive, negative, or anything they're struggling with. Reps for Responders has five certified recovery coaches through New York State to help battle addiction and alcoholism. If anyone is struggling, please don't be afraid to reach out to Reps for Responders. You can find us on Instagram at reps underscore four underscore responders or visit our website at repsforresponders.org. Again, from myself and Jay, personally, we thank you. As a recovering alcoholic, I would like to personally thank you because you have kept me sober just for today. All in and have a great day. Welcome back to Inside the Labyrinth, season three, episode four now, Jay. Uh, I'm really excited excited for today. Before I introduce my guests, I'll kick it over to my man, Jay. We got no intro music today, but Jay's going to... Jay, we were gonna, I tried to get Jay to uh, sing for us, but he's not going to do that. Yeah, definitely not. My uh, church choir days are, are long gone. So, um, yeah, it's uh, Jason Lacayo, a.k.a. The Real Jumpman Jay. Just got my Instagram back up. Uh, was hacked recently. It was down for about four or five days. Um, happy to be back. Very excited for uh, today's episode. Um, little known fact about me. As a child, I wanted to uh, go to the military, right? And I wanted to be in special forces. And I remember seeing a movie, and I think uh, Charlie Sheen was in it, and it was called Navy Seals. And that kind of sparked the mindset of what I wanted to do as I got older. So I um, wasn't able to join the military, but um, I joined the police force and then ended up being our special forces, which is the issue or SWAT. So I'm very excited for today's guest. Frankie, bring them on in, kid. Before I, before I uh, introduce our guest, uh, a few quick things. Um, now we have inside underscore the underscore lab underscore podcast. So if you guys are following us on our main pages, uh, shoot over to that page, uh, share this podcast with your friends. We're getting a lot of good feedback that downloads are coming in. Um, also as well, threats for responders uh, came out with new apparel, new shirts uh, at no matter what apparel.com. And you're able to, uh, Buy a for Responders t-shirt or tank top, and every shirt you buy is a $10 donation to our nonprofit. So if you're yeah. listening and you and you, you like the shirts that we're rocking, please, uh, even if you don't buy one, I'll pass that along with your friends. Um, so here we go. Uh, well, today's guest, uh, like I put on my story yesterday, uh, has an incredible story, an incredible journey. I uh, can't wait to hear him. So uh, 
John Meadows, how you doing, man? I'm good. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for coming on. It's, it's a pleasure. I'm really excited for today. Um, so where you, uh, you, you were just talking before, you're located in uh, Ohio right now? I'm in Columbus, Ohio. Been here uh, ever since I went to college here. So I've been here uh, since the 90s. Uh, I grew up about an hour south of here. So I've pretty much been an Ohio guy my whole life. <clears throat> I've certainly traveled a lot, but I've lived here my whole life. Gotcha. All right. So we're going to jump right into your labyrinth, which I was explaining to you is your mind um, and how we always start off is take us through John. How was, you know, take us through John's path in high school, any sports, um, just how was it for you? Was it a good experience? Was it not a good experience? Introvert, extrovert. We get a lot of people that are extroverts now that say they were a total introvert in high school. And we really like to see how their mindset has, has changed from their teenage years to their twenties, thirties and on and on. So take us through that little uh, journey for you. Well, let me, um, <clears throat> I love that question. Let me back up a little bit. Let me even take you back to junior high. So I was uh, <clears throat> raised in a small town, uh, never met my father. I don't know who he is. Apparently he died at a pretty young age, uh, but I never met him. And uh, my mother had some issues with uh, drug dependency. So she didn't raise me. I was raised by my grandmother. And so I never really had any role models or anything like that. Um, but looking back, I had um, what I think is a pretty unique mindset. So I remember, um, so first of all, I actually competed in bodybuilding. My first show was when I was 13 years old. So kind of try to wrap your head around that, a 13-year-old competing in a bodybuilding show. But I remember wrestling and certainly football and all my, the sports I was in having this kind of this burning desire to just work really hard. For instance, in a school and study hall, I would never take study hall. I would ask if I could either go to the little school weight room or if I could just run around the gymnasium in circles and just run the whole thing, run the whole time. Nobody was telling me to do that. I just liked really physically pushing myself and just looking back now, I think that was really rare and unique. But that's how, as a teenager, my mindset was. And I didn't know any other kids that were like that. That's just how I was. Now, I wasn't football and track and wrestling. And I even played baseball for a little bit. But I, you know, I love sports. I could tell you, I, I'm, I was born in 1972. I could tell you the 1980 Super Bowl. I can tell you everything about it, probably because I'm an Eagles fan, but um, which I hope you guys won't kill the podcast since I'm an Eagles fan. Um, yeah, so it's rough, but okay. I'll let it slide. <laughs> um, but I was um, a sports fanatic too. So I loved bodybuilding. I loved sports. And I looked at lifting weights as something that, you know, I was um, above average, I would say. Uh, as an athlete, I wouldn't say I was bad or average. I wouldn't say I was really good either. I was probably a, above average. But I thought weightlifting, now here's a way that I can work really hard and maybe get an advantage. Maybe if I'm stronger than all the other kids, maybe that would give me a chance to compete and do really well. And so I trained really hard. Part of it was because I love bodybuilding, but part of it was to try to keep me competitive in sports. I particularly loved football. I continue to lift weights. Um, I wouldn't say I was an introvert or extrovert. I was kind of obsessed 
was sports. Like, that's all I thought about. And um, again, I think looking back now, that's probably pretty unique, but I wasn't uh, introverted. I, I didn't really feel like I was really extroverted. I was this kid. So if you can just picture this kid that wakes up, he's thinking about sports, he gets out of school, he's thinking about going to go lift weights. Then when I get home, I'm playing with my football cards and my baseball cards. And that's, and that's literally, and my toys were little He-Man toys, right? Cause they were all, they were so muscular, but that's kind of how my mind worked when I worked when I was younger. I mean, I got really good grades. I graduated uh, very, very high in my class in high school. I actually had an academic scholarship, but man, my mindset was sports. I loved it. I loved training. I loved working out. Um, and again, you know, I had a grandmother raise me, so I didn't, I wasn't surrounded by all these people or dad or anybody telling me what to do. That's just how my mind worked. So that kind of gives you a little bit of a background on my early years. Wow. Uh, I'd never nah, heard any yeah. waking up and with that mindset. So that definitely sets you apart from, from most guys that I know, or even, even sometimes if you hear about guys, like you think about some of the greats, right? Like Michael Jordan, and he wasn't even doing that in junior high school. So I think that definitely <laughs> sets you apart. Right. Your mindset was completely different than most kids your age. So um, that's the first thing I took from that. How was it? Um, I mean, like losing your father young, did that affect you like, at, you know, later on or? Well, I never actually met him. So, you know, my mom okay. got pregnant. My, my mom got pregnant for me when she was 15. And um, so he just disappeared. So I never knew him. Okay. Um, and so I didn't really care. Like for me, it was never there. There was nothing to miss. Gotcha. And I tried to track him down, although I couldn't find any information. But the only reason I wanted to track him down is I wanted to see what my genetics were like. Like that, that was really yeah. what I was, um, I didn't track him down, but I was like, man, I want to see what my genetics are like. <laughs> so it didn't work out, but I didn't, you know, I, I didn't really care. I was just like, well, whatever, you know, I've got a great grandmother. She was a cook in a restaurant her whole mm -hmm. life, basically from age 16. She was going back and forth between waitressing and being a cook in a restaurant. I obviously had very humble beginnings. And that's what pretty much what she did her whole life. She worked very hard. I, I worked very hard to, um, I want her to be proud of me. So a lot of what I did was, a lot of the work I did was I just want her to see that I appreciate her hard work. And, it, it, and you know, I always had a problem with kids that um, they didn't really respect their parents and their parents mm. worked hard because for me, like my grandmother, here she was working oftentimes double shifts. I'd wake up in the morning, I'd go downstairs, my breakfast was waiting for me. You know, she'd get home in the evenings after I'd already been to practice and she was like, you know, making me dinner. Like I knew from that age, like, wow, that's, she's working her butt off for me. So I don't want to disappoint her. I want to do everything I can. Um, you know, and I, and there was kids obviously in school that they're always, they're, just didn't respect their parents. That was one of the, that's kind of a character trait that always bothered me when people yeah. don't really, you know, but anyways, I don't want to get too off track here. Yeah, no, I, uh, no, I definitely hear that just because, you know, knowing and seeing that your grandmother had worked that hard just so you can have a decent life really puts things in a different light. I think a lot of kids take that for granted. Um, so I could definitely like hear in your voice and in your story so far that you're super Duke or humble individual, man. And it's like, it's, it's very rare to come about, come by these days because um, a lot of people just think, I don't want to say 
expect things to just like, you know, be a certain way and things to be placed in front of them. A lot of, a lot of people forget there's a lot of hard work and perseverance that goes in before us. So like someone had to pave the way for you to be, to be where you are right now. Yes. I think a lot lose sight of that because they get so caught up in right now. So the fact that you took it back and you paid homage to your, to your grandmother, like I said, I, I love hearing stories like this because I kind of, you know, I think the same way I'm super grateful for my parents because, you know, my parents weren't born in this country and, you know, they came here with nothing and they created something for, you know, my brother and I. So, you know, that's one of my pet peeves as well. When you, when you see kids out here that are super disrespectful to their parents and, you know, knowing that someone out there doesn't have that, you know, you should not take those type of things for granted because having parents in your life is not a given, you know? So that was a, that was a very valid point. I'm taking notes too, dude. So just you know, I'm a pen. Okay. Yeah. I think I got a question for you, John, too. Um, I think you earn respect and like humble uh, and being humble and, and, and honor at a young age um, from your grandmother. If do you ever look back and say, if, your grandmother wasn't in your life, would you have come out a different route or a different person? Well, let me, so let me tell you what happened. I have a half sister and my grandmother fought to get custody of me um, so she could raise me. And my sister ended up going to live with uh, our biological, my half sister ended up going to live with my biological mom and her biological mom. She had a very bad drug problem very bad drug problem. And um, my sister had a really rough way to go. I mean, really rough. Um, she had an incredibly tough childhood. And I was with my grandmother. I do often wonder what would have happened if the courts would have said, okay, John, you go to your biological mom and my sister go to my grandmother. I do often think about that because here I had a grandmother that was very loving. And my half sister, um, she had a tough route. And um, she made it and she's doing great now, but she had a really tough route to go. So I, I do wonder about that. Yeah. That, that man, it's just for me as well, that environment and environment and culture and growing up those to eat those eight, that age from like five to 15 is such a big role on your life choices on who you are going to become. And, you know, don't get me wrong. People can change their lives at any age, but those are just so key for an individual. Um, and I think you, you know, sharing that, first of all, I, I, we want to thank you. And um, I don't know if you can agree with me or not, but like that, that environment is such a big, a big role on becoming the person that you, you are, you know, the person that you're meant to be or the person that you were not meant to be from choices that you just see, you know, monkey see, monkey do, and, and, and a product of your environment. It's just, it's always been talked about. And I think that's just a, huge role of if you see your your dad drinking every single day you're going to think it's normal at a young age if you see your mom doing drugs or whatever you might think it's normal and you don't really think twice about it uh so i'm really happy that uh you admitted you you said that admitted that uh when did you find out i guess um we i usually ask this question later on in the show but we'll ask now so it's on a topic drugs and alcohol um more like alcohol and stuff What's your mindset about alcohol? Uh, were you ever a big drinker? Or did you ever really drink? And when did you kind of find out that your mom had this uh, this issue, this the disease of addiction? Well, you know, I um, my biological mom, she would come to see me 
and I could always smell it on her breath. It was really strong. And she was always slurring her words and it was really hard to understand her. And, um, you know, eventually my grandmother told me, you know, she's got a problem. And, and I remember when I was really little going over to her house, my mom's house. And I remember I opened the, um, in the bathroom, the, the little cabinet thing. And I remember there was just pill bottles. Like the whole thing was pill bottles. And I remember just thinking, man, I mean, that seems like a lot of pills. And, um, but mainly what I remember is she would come over and um, just be kind of belligerent and she always had alcohol in her breath and she's always slurring her words and she didn't come visit me too much, but when she did, that's, that's kind of what happened. Um, you know, she later, you know, when she got much, much older, she later um, kicked a habit and she quit drinking altogether. She quit doing drugs. But unfortunately, doing that for so many years took its toll on her, and she died pretty young. But I do remember pretty young those experiences. And um, so, you know, for me, I um, I actually didn't have any alcohol at all until I was out of high school. And when I went to college, I think I did the same thing that all other college did kids do. You know, I drank a lot, and you know partied a lot just with with beer and of course back then I didn't have much money so it was cheap wine it was the old Thunderbird a mad dog right because that's what I could afford and um so I went through that phase I think a lot of people go through that phase where I drank a lot and I was like that I was in a fraternity I was actually in a black fraternity and um oh yeah I was yeah uh, <laughs> and let's, let, let's hear about this <laughs> Oh, it was crazy. It was, um, I think they've since been kicked off campus. We got into a lot of trouble. <laughs> um, yeah, Phi Alpha Psi. So I was in the fraternity. I went to, uh, my friends were like, hey, you know, let's go to a party uh, when I first got to college. And I was like, okay, cool. So I get to this party and everybody's like, oh, you're going to rush? And I was like, rush? What's rush? What do you mean? Like, well, you're going to pledge. I'm like, pledge what? Like, what are you talking about? Like, well, you're here, so that means you're joining our fraternity. And I'm looking around, I'm like, there's not too many white people here. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I'm like, are you sure? Like, you sure I'm in the wrong place? Or the right set you up or something, right? That's yeah. Funny. So, um, but listen, I'm a man of my word. And I said, you know, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> so I got my butt kicked. I mean, I got physical beatings for six weeks straight Ooh. and when I uh, crossed over and became an official fraternity member I had respect on my college campus like you wouldn't believe I mean and those guys had my back I loved my fraternity brothers they had my back we got into a little trouble quite often uh, rowdy kids right and um I actually was just getting I actually I was there for three years and I was actually getting to the point where I wasn't going to classes anymore. I would just go and take tests and my grades had come down. And when I left there, I transferred to here to Columbus because I felt like I was starting to get a little bit out of control. But, um, um, and then once I came to Columbus here, I went to a school, it was a complete opposite. It was a, kind of a, uh, kind of a, it's Capital University, kind of a hard to get into school, very expensive, a lot of uppity rich kids. And I, mm. I didn't really have any desire really to hang out with any of them. I just didn't feel any common common ground with them like I did with the, my friends at, at Wilmington. 
so I went there for a year and a half. I got my degree, but um, I really enjoyed my fraternity brothers in college, man. That's one thing that just, I have such good memories. I mean, we had like, listen, I don't, I'm, I don't usually talk about this stuff on podcasts, but I remember we had pajama <laughs> parties and girls had to wear, they had to wear their bra and panties at the parties. And I mean, <laughs> you know, when you're a, when you're a 19 year old kid, like, Johnny boy, like, man, this is heaven, man. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, oh my gosh. We had so many good times. And um, so that's like, that's one of the things I think about that. I, that's what I really loved about college. It was actually, I hear all these things about fraternities and I get it. And when I went to Capitol, they were talking to me about fraternities and I saw the kids that was in it. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't think I would have fun with you guys. Like, like my brothers in Wilmington, that was a good group I had fun with. So that's an interesting part of my life that I don't think I've really talked about on any podcast. Can I, can, can I just ask a question? You, you being a white guy in a black fraternity, did you, did you face any kind of adversity because of that? I mean, I, I mean, Columbus, Ohio sounds pretty, it's, that's the Midwest. So it's like, I mean, did you feel, did you get any backlash? Did you feel anything? No, not at all. Um, in fact, I had respect. And there was nobody that was going to give me a hard time because my fraternity brothers were the big guys on the football team and would knock the crap out of them if they gave me a hard time. Okay. So, I, I mean, that was the law. Like, if you mess with one of us, you mess with all of us. Yeah. You know, I mean, and I was part of the group. So if you mess with me, you can you can believe that you were going to get a whooping, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a few questions out of that, John. One, um, when did you end up finishing uh, studying your degree in college? Two, were you – was weightlifting – were you still weightlifting, like uh, – type of any type of training during college and um three are you still in contact with any any of the the brothers today so i was actually i actually competed when i was in college um i had very little money i was literally like eating tuna and brown rice was my diet was my diet and every contest i entered when i was in college i had a minimum won my class if not the overall so i was not only was i training i was training hard i was training really hard in fact I um, wanted to go to medical school and I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon and work on knees, but I couldn't get through my chemistry classes because I kept leaving and going to lift weights and during the labs, <laughs> you know, you have these labs are like three go. hours long. Oh, wow. It's like add a drop of sodium chloride and observe and, and write your observations. Okay. Now 30 minutes later, add a drop of this. I'm like, Oh my God, this stuff's driving me nuts. So I would leave and just go lift weights. And my professor was like, John, like, like you, you'd leave every lab. I can't pass you. So I dropped the class, but without chemistry, as you guys probably know, you can't get into medical school. So that was the end of that dream. So I, um, so I, <laughs> I went to a transfer to capital. I got a degree in health and fitness management, which basically meant I took all the anatomy and physiology, biology, kinesiology, all that stuff. I just couldn't, I couldn't get through the higher level chemistry stuff. Gotcha. And when you were training for, when you were training, what, what was the training like? Was it? bodybuilding to a bunch of superset i mean we've had people on here we're like how how was body how'd you even start bodybuilding were you looking at the magazines the arnold magazines what year and also what year take us back to the year of college what year did you were you in college yeah so 1990 is when i graduated from high school so i went you know right right to college from there um i was basically looking at the magazines at that point because there really wasn't a lot of what i would call research or truly good thought around training principles. So mainly what I was doing was just 
reading magazines and doing what all the pros were doing. And I was, I can tell you, I was training extremely hard, uh, very intensely, but, um, I mean, there wasn't any, that was pretty much it. It was like, let me look at muscle and fitness and let me see what the guys are doing. And, and let me try that. I mean, that's pretty much what I was doing. Oh, 1992. That's the year I was born. So when you were uh, with the brothers down there in your, in your sorority, you were kicking ass. And Fraternity, I was, not sorority. <laughs> for, no, I said sorority. Well, look at me in the frat. Um, John, John in the sorority. Sorry about that. He's not wearing a wig. Uh, well, you're kicking ass in the, in, in the frat. I'm kicking ass on a bottle. Um, yeah. I think I was like fourth grade or something like that during that time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, I met some someone has a, a perfect quote to me and he said, You never know, um I'm twenty eight and he said, Frank, you don't know who you're gonna meet down the road and people that aren't even born yet, you know, that you really are gonna have an impact on their life. And this is a perfect example of you have no idea. They're not even born and you can have a, a big impact. It could be your own children or not even your own children. So I think that's something that people need to be aware about is the choices they have now that just because something in your life isn't going okay now down the road, five, 10 years, you might meet someone or a bunch of people that's going to change their life forever. I think that's you know, a perfect example of that, John. Um, yeah. So yeah, you graduate, so you graduate college and uh, where's life kind of taking you from there? Well, I actually ventured out into the corporate world and I started off as a recruiter to staffing company and, uh, then I went to work at a technology company and kind of managing small projects. And then I got hired by, at the time it was Bank One, now it's J.P. Morgan Chase. And I worked my way up the ladder there to the point where I was managing a lot of the biggest projects at the corporation. And I was there for 10 years. The whole time I was still bodybuilding, I was still competing. I had clients, I was training. I had a very, very busy schedule actually. And um so I'm one of the few people in the bodybuilding world that put in a lot of time actually in the corporate world. So I was there for, like I said, about 10 years. And, um, you know, I was doing really well for myself. Um, but I felt like, I think I have more to contribute to kind of this health and fitness industry. So after a lot of consideration and a lot of thinking and answers and questions I needed to answer in my mind. I left the banking world to do all what I do now full time. And that was in 2012. So that was about eight years ago. You are the king of multitasking, man. Uh, no, I'm I, involved in a lot of stuff. I mean, <laughs> if I gave you a list of the things I'm involved with, you'd be, you'd be pretty surprised. I mean, I'm involved with a lot of stuff. Just like, uh, cause I'm just, I'm very curious. Like, how do you, uh, how are you able to do it? Um, like just be able to take on, um, so many responsibilities at one time. Is there like a piece of advice you can give somebody out there that's looking to like build their own business or, or, or you know, look to be an entrepreneur, but just kind of like a, almost like, do you have like a blueprint that you follow? Well, Jason, I think a lot of the people don't have a plan. I think they just try to wing it. Mm -hmm. And I'm very, very methodical about how I plan. And I'll give you, a, I'll give you an example. So I was at the bank. Um, I had a, obviously had a very good salary, I had great benefits, and yeah. I actually had two kids. I have twin boys that at the time were four years old. So, so for me, I'm thinking, okay, if I walk away from this, I no longer have guaranteed salary, no longer have all these benefits. So what's my approach? So I laid out a blueprint for me in that particular situation. I said, okay, 
for me to be successful in this industry, this other industry, people knew who I was, but I needed a real business. So it's like, okay, let's get a website going. Okay, now I don't really have a lot of paper credentials, so I need to get some paper credentials. So I got my CS, Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist. I got mm. my CISSN, which is nutrition related. So I got those. And then I, so I went through this process. I laid out all these goals. So I got to accomplish all these things before I resigned. And there was one, one thing that was really probably the most impactful. And that was my, my uh, mortgage because like I had a house and I'm like, if something goes wrong and I can't pay my mortgage and then my family could suffer. So I had to buy to think, okay, how am I going to solve this problem? So at the time I was, um, outside of bank hours, I was still training people. I had 40 clients and I took all that money and believe me, I was working many, many hours all day, Saturday, all day, Sunday. And I took all that money and I started like my wife and I, um, just were saving like crazy. I saved up enough money to pay off my house. Um, I had, I got up to $200,000 in the bank after just working like nuts and I still owed 196, 198,000, I think it was on my house. So I walked into the Chase branch. I wired, I had them wire Wells Fargo, $198,000 to pay off my house. So I walked out of the bank with only $2,000 in my name, but my house was paid off. So then I went, so I could feel this relief. Like, okay, now, I mean, obviously you got taxes, but, but now I'm in a situation where my family, worst case scenario, they're going to have a place to live. Like yeah. we're not going to be on the street. So yeah. I felt relief. So I went back in, I gave the bank the next Monday, I gave them my notice on my, and I actually gave them 30 day notice. Now at a bank, when you resign, they usually walk you out the door that day. They don't want you to have access to anything really, mm-hmm. but they trusted me and they actually had me work all 30 days, all the way up until April 15th of 2012. So I guess what I'm trying to say, Jason, is I was very methodical about what do I need to do? What are the things I need to accomplish? I didn't just kind of run into it with no formula. Now, I made a lot of mistakes along the way in the last eight years, but I've always tried to plan and be methodical. And I think that's where entrepreneurs kind of get crushed is they think they can kind of wake up anytime they want, then they can do something, then they can go goof off, then they can do something else. They don't really have a structure and a plan. Yeah. And I think when you have a structure and a plan, so at the bank, I was a project manager. So project managers have, they have teams where they have individuals that have tasks that have to be done by a certain date. That's essentially Mm -hmm. what project management is. You have a budget, you have people that get assigned tasks and you manage it. And that's kind of what I'm talking about. It's being organized, it's managing tasks. If you think about it, there's a lot of overlap. And even as a, as a coach in my industry, you know, if I'm handling a lot of clients, it's still kind of the same thing. It's a lot of data that I'm managing. I look for specific data from clients. Based on the data, I make decisions. I get mm-hmm. things done. Like that really transferred over into my coaching as well. So people always ask, you know, are you, do you wish you would have skipped out in the corporate world? I'm like, absolutely not, because it helped me to establish this framework in the way I think. And um, so I think it's actually been extremely beneficial um, in my life now even. Yeah, I mean, that's what I gathered from from what you just were talking about is basically just, um, you know, 
you took your priorities, right? You, I guess you put them on a list. And like you said, like the top, it was like, all right, my house, I got to make sure worst case scenario, like my family is taken care of. So you put things in a, in a, almost in like priority order and then kind of went from there. So, cause someone like, like myself, you know, I'm, I'm nearing the end of my police career and I'm looking to jump into something, you know, post police work. So it's like, all right, well, I, I know I want to be in business from, you know, I want to be my own boss. So I want to be an entrepreneur. And I, you know, I always try to take little tidbits from people, successful people, and, you know, just try to pick their brains and, and, and see where, you know, where should I start? How should I go about it? And just listening to you kind of helped me put a few things in perspective. Um, because that's why I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm taking notes because it's very rare that I get a chance to speak to somebody, um, you know, in the, in your realm, with your level of success and has the life experience that you have, you know what I mean? Like life experience, there's no degree that can equate life experience, that's you right. know, who has been through life and is successful and has had, you know, any successful person to tell you there's been, you know, peaks and valleys in his success. Life is about ebbs and flows, right? So you got to take the good with the bad. And, you know, it's it's my job as a person who's looking to learn is to pick the brain of someone who will allow me to do that. So um, I definitely just took down some, some key clutch notes on that because, you know, Frank and I, you know, we're trying to, you know, we're building a business here. We're, you know, we're building a brand. So, you know, when yep. we sit down, speak to all these successful people, you know, I don't take these days for granted. I'm super appreciative that, you know, you gave us the opportunity to sit down and speak with us and give us, you know, a little bit of knowledge because a little bit of knowledge goes a long way, you know, for us to be yeah. successful, the other successful people. And, you know, it's, it's going to help us in the long run, man. So I uh, definitely, I am taking notes, man. <laughs> uh -huh. So 2012, when you're going through all that, I mean, it wasn't, it was a really tough time, probably in your head, mentally. Were you ever just like, you know what, uh, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay. You know, I'm gonna stay uh, at the job now with your bank, or you know what, you know what, maybe I'm just gonna. I'm so close to the two hundred thousand. I'm one hundred fifty thousand. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna stop. Was that motiv like? Mo I guess the word motivation or just that visionary is. You're definitely a visionary, John. Where you just like this is the end goal. This is what I have to do. Like, kind of picture yourself on a bodybuilding stage. This is what I need to look. This is the lifts I need to get. This is how I have to look. You know, is that is that kind of where your mindset was at? Or, um, I knew that once I put my mind to it, I would do it because I'm the type of person when I put my mind to something, I'm all out. I'll give you an example. So I'm coaching youth football right now, and I spent Sunday. I spent about 10 hours diagramming plays and entering them into software and printing them out and guarantee there's no other coach in my area. Doing, this is a huge football area, but I guarantee there's no other coach that's doing that. Um, when I put my mind to something, I go nuts, man, until it's accomplished. And even if you look at my bodybuilding career, my first attempt to attain pro status at a pro qualifier was 1998. And when I actually won my pro qualifier was 2015. So you're looking at a long time there and it took me 16 pro qualifiers. I'm not aware of any else, any other bodybuilder. There may be some out there, but I'm not aware of anybody that tried 16 times before they won. And in the last, uh, in 2012, second place, 2013, second place, 2014, second place. So 
Um, there were a lot of opportunities to just walk away. And I mean, I did have a lot of doubts in my head at certain points along that pathway. That was the one that really challenged me mentally. And it wasn't, do I have the work ethic or any of that? It was a question of, do I have the genetics to become one of these pro guys? I never questioned my, my intensity, my work ethic, none of that. But I did question, okay, do I even have the structure, the genetics to become one of these guys? So eventually it paid off, but, um, you know, at times you wonder, like, I remember thinking, am I delusional? Am I one of these delusional guys that thinks this is going to happen? And I'm just setting myself up for disappointment, mental disappointment over and over and over. And every time I'd get second place, you'd almost rather get your butt kicked and get 15th place because second place, you're so close. You're almost yeah. there. So you're going through every scenario in your mind. Did I, did I do everything right? Did I eat too much? Did I not eat enough? Did I train too much? Did I not train enough? Too much cardio, too little cardio. So you got all these questions in your mind year after year after year after year. Um, that is what was mentally really challenging for me because you remember when I was 13 years old, I competed and I wanted to be a pro bodybuilder at 13 years old. So this was, this was my lifelong dream. And there were so many times when it was like, it's just not going to happen. No matter how hard I work, it ain't going to happen. But I stuck with it and it paid off. And then interestingly enough, when I won my pro card, I went straight into the pro shows. I didn't even hesitate. I went straight into them and I started placing. I was a placing as a pro. So I just had to get over that last hump and then I was okay. See, yeah. another got was perseverance. Like, I mean, like you said, your first, first show was in 98, right? And you didn't get your pro card till 2015. I mean, that's a hell of a time to be, like you said, finishing second place. And, and, you know, in your mind, you're probably like, damn, you know, should I give up? But you didn't, you, you know, you stayed the course and, you know, you got your pro card in 2015. I, I mean, that's, that says a lot because a lot of us get discouraged when we fall short of our goal. And some people will just erase everything and then say, screw it, I'm, I'm done. But the fact that you kind of stayed on, stayed on course to, to, to accomplish this lifelong goal of yours, I mean, speaks volumes because that's another part of the equation that people don't understand. In order to be successful, you have to be persistent. You have to have the, you know, the, the wherewithal to say, all right, listen, not every day is going to be a good day, right? And, you know, even though we fell short, we're still going to stick to the recipe. We're going to grind it out and we're going to get to the end. So um, I got perseverance out of all of that. So that's key to have that, you know, in that, in, in, in your mindset, perseverance, man. Cause like I said, 98 to 2015, I know I would have, at some point I probably would have toweling, you know, but as I get older, I'm learning, man, you know, with, with, yeah. with wisdom. So, you know, young Jason would have thrown in the towel. <laughs> well, you know, I think the, I think the hardest part for me was I never wanted to be one of those delusional people that think something's going to happen, which really not. And I, that's where mm -hmm. I really had to ask myself, like, is this just a pipe dream or is this really a possibility? That's the part I think I wrestled with the most. And I'll throw another, I'll throw another thing in here. In 2005, I had a, a near death experience where I had a very rare disease, a actually a rare vascular disease in my colon that caused me to go into emergency surgery. And I had my entire colon, which is your large intestine removed. Yeah. 
And when that happened, I end up having, I end up having another four or five surgeries after that, but that was um, a legitimate, almost dead scenario. So I was in the hospital bleeding to death and they rushed me in emergency surgery. So when I came out of that surgery, I got scars all over my stomach. I had all kinds of issues with it. And at that point, you know, I think everybody was like, okay, Meadows is done. Like he can forget the pro card. He's done. So I'll throw that in there too. That happened to me in 2005. I mean, so, you know, experience. Uh, so you didn't even throw in the surgery and near death experience and you still were able to accomplish this lifelong goal. I mean, I think anybody listening to this podcast will probably take from, from this conversation thus far is that, you know, this guy's a tough son of a bitch because I mean, to go through, <laughs> what you went through and still you were able to achieve this goal. That's to me, that's insane, man. I mean, a lot of guys, I've seen people go through less and throw in the towel, you know, yeah. you would like, you're the type of person that you will not be denied. If you have something in your mind, you set your, like, you set a goal for yourself, you're going to crush that goal. And I think a lot of people need to adapt that lifestyle. I mean, that'll make the world a better place. You know, things happen yeah. un Things, things out of your control happen, right? But you you did what you could with what you had and you accomplished that goal. So that should tell anybody who's gone, who's, who's gone through any kind of adversity or any kind of situation that you can still accomplish your goal even though there's a speed bump or two in the way. You know, there's no reason why if you have something set in your mind and you can't achieve that goal. I mean, like just listen to, you know, listen to your story. That's a, you're, you are a prime example. Right in the dictionary, there should be perseverance, and there should be a picture of John Meadows right there, kid. So I <laughs> that because you didn't no. even mention that that uh, that surgery. I mean, that's a that's a legit surgery, dude. Like, I'm pretty yeah. sure that you have to, like, um, like with with that surgery, did you have to make some, you know, um, changes to your diet and you know things that you were intaking? Well, your colon reabsorbs water and salt out of your um well your food is it's um basically when it hits your stomach but uh -huh. so i have a real i gotta be real careful i get dehydrated real easy Ooh. um so i gotta be real careful with that and not having a colon obviously i have to go to the bathroom a lot so like i need like wherever i'm at i need to be pretty near a bathroom and look I'm, 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 I made it out. I'm alive. I, I remember when I woke up in ICU. So I woke up in the intensive care unit and I had two tubes coming out of me all over. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm alive. Like, I didn't think I was going to live through it. Cause when they were wheeling me away in emergency surgery, I was like, I knew I was in shock. I was like, okay, I'm probably not going to wake up. So when I woke up in ICU, I was so happy. I was like, am I alive? And the nurses were like, yeah. And I was like, am I like, am I going to live? And they're like, yeah, you're going to live. I was so happy. And they were like, we've never seen someone so happy in ICU. And I was like, but you got to realize I was 100% I was going to die. And now I've got another chance. So, um, you know, that kind of, uh, when you have that kind of frame of reference too, it actually impacts your mindset a lot. You know, I eventually went back to the bank and back to work. And all of a sudden, what used to be kind of a big deal wasn't such a big deal anymore. You just have a different frame of reference, right? A lot yeah. of the things that people, and, you know, and I think one of the things I see in society now that kind of bothers me is people get um, things that aren't really big deals. They just get really outraged about. Yeah. And Absolutely. I'm just like, man, if you just had a different frame of reference, you would see 
you'd see that you should probably pick different battles, you know, pick battles that are meaningful, not just dumb stuff, right? But, you know, sometimes you have to go through tough experiences that change your frame of reference to do that. So anyways, uh, Amen. I don't respond or I don't, I don't uh, regret any of that ever happening to me either because it helped me, had helped me endure tough times, but it also helped me just to, to understand that what I think is a tough time, sometimes isn't even a tough time. It's not even that yeah. big of a deal. So I think that's a good perspective for people too, to realize is a lot of the things you think are like really bad. Like there's things that are worse. There's things right? that are there's, worse. There's things so, that are worse, you know? I say, be grateful for the small things in your life. You know, like you just mentioned that when you woke up in ICU, that you were super happy to be alive. I had a, a really good friend of mine had an aneurysm in his sleep and he passed away, but and he, you know, he was young. And I remember that being super devastating to me as a, um, you know, I was a young man when he passed away. So it was, to me, it hit, it hit home, like, like nothing else had hit me in my life. Um, and I always say this, and a lot of people, you know, kind of make fun of me because I'm super grateful that I'm able to go to sleep, right, and wake up with breath on my lungs. And I always thank God that, you know, I'm able to wake up. Like, if I, because, you, you know, we, we, we can all go to sleep, but it's not guaranteed that you're going to wake up. So, um, you know, when my friend passed away, you know, it, it, was, a, it was a freak situation, aneurysm in his sleep, and he passed away. It just made me put things in, in perspective, and I'm very grateful for the small things in life. And I try not to make big deals of, of things that are minute because at the end of the day, if it's something that you can solve or fix, you know, why get into, you know, an outrage over that, you know, it's something that can be solved. So don't worry about it, you know, control what you can, you know, make sure that your reaction is even keel. And you're not out here, you know, losing your mind over something, you know, minuscule. So um, when you, when you said that, when you woke up on that, that operating table and you were super grateful, it just, makes me appreciate the fact that there are people out here who are grateful for just being alive because this is not guaranteed. I mean, a lot of people take life for granted. They think that, you know, your loved ones or, you know, you're, you know, you're going to be here tomorrow. It's not promised. It's not promised that we get to, you know, live life, you know, so. That's right. hundred percent. Yeah. And this reminds me of like a, like a David Goggins podcast talk because, you know, he wanted to go through the Navy SEALs three or four times because before he became one. And mm -hmm. was it 17 years, John, to make that 13-year-old John's dream that you had, like that that dream as such a young kid become a reality? It's just amazing yeah. to me. It's consistency. And it's it, it, it this is a definition of people listening that how long it takes to really achieve and stick stick to something and to achieve that goal. But look how many other goals and what you learned throughout the way in life. Like the bodybuilding was probably one of your main goals, but look at all the achievements and everything and the life experience you're able to achieve with that. I mean, I'm really happy you're, you're still with us because this is definitely you know, a great experience and to make me, you know, me at least you've affected me of, of my thought process. And it's great. I'm really happy you said that things are so small. Like, you realize, you know, what life really is at the end of the, at the end of the day, you were like reborn, you know, and, and it definitely yeah. probably changed your mindset. Uh, so thank you. I, I commend you uh, for that and, and really not giving up. I really hope, you know, this podcast is a definition of, of not giving up. Um, but the struggles along the way that you, you had to go through when you hit the pro card, like, 
can you kind of just take us through that feeling as in what like I'm here, you know, like I'm kind of picturing you on the stage of like, this is it my whole entire life really dedicated to the 13 year old John. Yeah, this was an incredible moment in my life. So I was competing in New York and I have a lot of friends in New York. Um, the New York crowds have always backed me. They've always really um, been behind me. So it couldn't have been at a better place. But when you compete in bodybuilding, when you've, once you've competed a long time, you can kind of tell where you're going to place just by how the judges move you around. And I had done so many shows where um, I just knew I'm not going to win. Like, you can just tell. You know, you have your friends say, oh, I think you were the best. I think you won. And they, they have good intentions. But, again, I'm not a delusional person. So it was like, no, I know where the judges have me. And trust me, I'm not going to win. And I didn't win. So when I did the show in New York, um, after the prejudging, which is the morning part of the show that they actually judge, I knew it. I knew based on where they had me and how they were moving people around, I knew that they had me picked as the winner. It was the first time I'd been to a pro qualifier where I was, I was pretty sure, unless something really drastic happened, I was going to win. Mm. So you come back for the finals. That's the evening show where you do your routine and all that. So from the pre-judging time to the finals, you've got like five, six hours. So for five or six hours, man, I just sat there like my head was spinning, like, finally, this is it. Finally, this is it. And so they start introducing the placings, fifth place, so-and-so, fourth place, so-and-so, and they get down to second place. And I, I knew it was happening. I knew it was finally going to happen. And I kept telling myself, control your emotions, control your emotions. But honestly, I'm a little bit of an emotional guy. So they kept telling me that. So then they announced second place. And it was another guy and the whole crowd went nuts. And I knew they were cheering for me. And so of course I lost, I just started crying. I lost my control of my emotions. And so I won and then I'm backstage people who, had, who knew me and seen, knew it, what I had been through, they were crying. It was, um, then I went with my wife uh, afterwards. We had, you know, we had dinner and was like, it finally happened. Like it finally happened because you got to realize my wife is, was traveling with me to all these shows that, you know, Atlanta, New York, Texas, Florida, Miami, everywhere. Finally it happened. So we're sitting there like, Oh, finally, you know, but it was an amazing, amazing feeling. And um, it's a, those emotions I will never forget. I remember everything that day until the next day it's crystal clear in my head. It was amazing. Congrats. I'm, I'm smiling and laughing because of, you know, the journey you told us is like, you know, I've, I've, I feel for you and your wife is probably definitely your rock and a huge, probably a huge part of your success, right? Like to be for sure yeah. with you through that whole journey. And that's really awesome for you to have someone, someone like that. And that was helps along the way. But I'm also interested in, you know, you, it, it took you years and years, like we said, 17 years, um, but instead of, uh, besides working out and lifting other, if you have any other outlets or coping mechanisms to kind of get you to, you know, sometimes you're in the gym, maybe, I don't know if you think this and like, you know, fuck, should I even, should I even work out? Should I do this? Or I'm just not even in the mood today just cause every day is not the best day. You have any other coping mechanisms or skills where it really took you somewhere else or made you feel relaxed that people might be able to listen to that are into lifting or just looking into somewhere else to escape. Well, so training for me, um, 
it's not a decision. I don't wake up and say, am I going to train today? It's the same thing as waking up. Like it's going to ha- like, well, hopefully it's going to happen, but um, <laughs> it's, I'm going to the gym. Now, I may not feel great when I get to the gym. I may not want to be there, but I know if I just put in some work, I'm going to be glad that I at least went. So for me training, when I have a lot of stress in my life, it always seemed like when I trained, when I left the gym, the stress was lifted. It was a release um, for all the stress I had. Not only was it enjoyable, it was it was physiologically, it seemed very beneficial to me. It was a way for me to handle stress in a positive and productive way. Um, I also have a mindset where when I start to feel sorry for myself and I feel bad about things, one of the things that makes me feel better is I think about how can I help somebody else? If you do things to help other people and, and um, contribute to the good of society, you will notice that you feel better about yourself and better about the problems that you have. Mm-hmm. So I'm all for I'm all for trying to understand what your problems are and dealing with them. But I would say one very good coping mechanism is to just step back and look at something else, somebody else, someone else you can help or something you can do. And when something positive happens from that, it lifts your spirits. It makes you better and it makes the world a better place. So that's one of the things I try to do when I'm feeling sorry for myself and like maybe I've got things too hard or what have you, is I think, you know what, let me think about who, who I can help. You know, let me think about how I can make a positive difference rather than focusing on how bad things are for me. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I think any and everybody can do. Like we all have things that get us down, but help someone and tell me how you feel after you help someone. You're going to feel better. You're going to feel good. And that's a very, very positive coping mechanism that I try to employ. And that's a powerful message. And I can relate to that with, you know, being an alcohol, alcoholic, Alcoholics Anonymous, right? What you do is you help another alcoholic get sober. Uh, it's also keeping you sober and it makes you remember who you are. And even if you feel like crap, like you just said, um, just by you, I always say, reach out. Hey, how you doing? You know, really? No, really. How are you doing? And just by someone maybe telling you something like that, they're not feeling they're hiding something and help them get over a little hump. It could be like the smallest thing. You're helping them. You're also helping yourself. And I think people need to remember when you're helping other people deep down, you're also helping yourself and you'll be able to grow together. So, uh, man, I'm really happy that, that, that you hit that message. Yeah. Uh, I know recently this year, you also had something else that was, you know, kind of scary happened to you. Right. And you're here with us. You're here with us not too long ago. It happened. Right. Yeah. You know, you, you guys ever see those final destination movies right? <laughs> yeah. where they're cheating death. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like my life is an episode of final destination. So Should we call you Johnny nine lives. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I, yeah. I mean, I've been, I've been people, have said that I seem like a cat, but <laughs> so on May 11th of this year, I had a, a blood clot, um, may or may not have been related to the blood clot I had in my colon in 2005, but it went to um, my left descending artery, anterior descending artery, which is called your widow maker, mm-hmm. and it 100% blocked my uh, widow maker, and so I had a heart attack. 
Um, now, you gotta realize how frustrating this is for me. I take every health precaution you can take. I've had a calcium score test done to detect hard plaques in your heart. I have none. My blood work is spotless. Um, I've, I have, like, I do so much to maintain my health, and then this happens to me. So the amount of frustration I had, I can't even put into words um, how frustrated I was. So, so I had this clot that went to my heart. Um, I, went to the, I went via ambulance. If not, I would have died. Went to the hospital. They took me straight into the cath unit where they put the catheter in your, they put it in the brachial artery in my, in my wrist, up into my heart. They found the clot. They put me on uh, blood thinners to get rid of the clot. Eventually it dissolved. And um, I, I had some readings that my ejection fraction is, is lower than normal. Ejection fraction, so when your heart expands and pulls all this blood in there, and then when it contracts, it, it ejects blood. It doesn't eject 100% of the blood. Maybe it's 50%, maybe it's 60%, maybe it's 70%, but mine was low. So that means you have compromised heart function. Um, so all this is happening to me, and it's very frustrating. It's very frustrating because of so much of what I've done to take care of myself. And then, so I've had this essentially May 11th. I had to essentially, I went through that, and I had to rehab again. Because when you get out of the hospital after a heart attack, I can tell you, you're super tired. What the guy told me was it's like running a marathon and resting for five minutes and then running another marathon or afterwards. Like, that's the stress it has on your heart. Oh. So I um. I took 16 days off out of the gym and then I went back in and went real easy, real easy, very methodically worked my way back up. And about, I would say about five, six weeks ago, I started training really, really hard again. So now I'm back to training hard, but, um, you know, I'm continually getting checkups done to see if the damage is kind of repairing. Um, my heart's function still not back to normal, according to them. But the interesting thing is, is I feel really good. Like, I feel great. Um, and I, I don't think the doctor kind of accounts for how hard I've trained literally my entire life and the strength of my heart. So um, I'm going to get checked up again here in another couple months. I just had a recent one. And we'll see what happens. But I'm being optimistic. I, I'm, you know, I'll be lying to you if I said it didn't frustrate me. But whether it does or it doesn't, I got to continue to live. I got to continue to live, right? So I'm going to continue to do the things I want to do. And um, I have some causes that, I, that I'm behind too, much like your guys' cause here. So I'm going to continue to live my life, try to help others, try to be, try to take care of my kids um, and try to be successful at what I do. But um, yeah, it was a very scary experience, extremely scary. Sheesh, man, you are you are blessed and highly favored, man. Because that's two. That's two. That's two. That's right. Yeah, man. God bless you, brother. Man, uh, that well, you know. Well, thank when you. that happened to me, it was amazing because I I don't I mean I I don't count my messages or anything, but I I guarantee you I got thousands of messages from people just saying you know we're thinking about you, you've helped me in some way, and that was. That was um, very nice to hear. It was very nice to get that kind of support. Um, one of the things that I've always been really blessed for is I have had a lot of support. I've had a lot of people that believed in me over the years, a lot of people to back me, a lot of people to support my businesses. 
And I've always felt very, very fortunate that I was in that position. So I had, I had cardiologists reaching out to me from all over the world. Um, so there's no shortage of people around me that want to help and engage. And, and so I'm very, very thankful for that. Great. Yeah. Great. Look at that. Great karma. You help people your whole life. And that's the thing we were just talking about 10 minutes ago, you know, help build yeah. enough. And, uh, yeah, thank you. You know, thank you for, I just say it again. Thank you for coming on the show and the, you know, the definition of staying the course and the visionary of this is, I'm not giving up until my last breath and you're the definition of it. You know, the grim reaper has been at your door a few times and John kicked his ass, you know, he's, he, he, or in the labyrinth, you know, the minotaur, you know, John defeated the minotaur a few times and now the, the minotaur is running away from John in the labyrinth. So I really, uh, I really appreciate that. Um, wow. Kind of speechless a little bit, you know, it's like, what do you say after that? You know, it's like, yeah. it, you know, yeah. um, What's your, what's your uh, training like? Uh, what's your training like now? Basically, do you just go in on based on feel, or are you still following a program and everything? I still train hard. I still train hard. I push hard. Um, I can't do some of the things I used to do in my twenties or thirties. Obviously, I'm 48 years old now, but I still go hard, man. I mean, I still, I still people come to train with me. I still lay them out. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. average. 48 year old, you know, like you said, you've been training hard your whole life. So I think people think, you know, age is just like your, your, um, it's just your chronological age, but like your cellular age is how you treat your body. Yeah. Hard and you know, putting the right things in your body. I mean, just cause you're 48 doesn't mean you're actually 48. You know what I mean? You still, you still out there running with the guns and putting those guys to bed. So, I mean, that's a blessing, bro, because you know, a, a lot of guys, like I trained with Frank, right? And, and you know, Frank was training with these two young guys one day. And he's like, yo, you know, guess how old Jay is? And, you know, they're guessing in like the 20s. And I'm 37 years old. So they're like, okay. oh, I couldn't believe it. It's just, how you, <laughs> and, and, you know, what you put into your body and, you know, how you how you treat your body. So, I mean, you're doing the right thing, man. And somebody likes you because, like I said, two experiences where yeah. you're still here. So. Yeah, well, when you made that point about you don't know if you wake up or not, like, I live that. Like, I live that. Like, when I wake up in the morning, it's – I'm very thankful because, Thanks. you know, I'm, you know, I'm at risk right now. So, yeah. that when you said that, like, that hits home with me because that's exactly how I feel, man. When I wake up, I'm like, ooh, all right, we're off to a good start. Let's go. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Uh, gratitude. We just talked about that on the other podcast. We just had a guest. Um the sergeant of police in New York city, but we talk about waking up in the morning and instead of looking at the phone or just kind of getting rushing out, it's waking up and hitting your knees and saying a prayer or just being grateful and remembering where you are now, you know, look down, look, I always say, look down, look at your feet. That's where you are right now. And to be grateful and to realize how far you came, even though you look at the past, be like, I could have changed this. I could have changed that, but no, everything you've done, has led you up to where you are right now and all the experiences like that. So I think, you know, we live in such a techno technology world where it's always go, 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 go. But it's like, all right, have you ever, Frank, have you ever been grateful or, you know, thankful for where you are? Same thing with Jay and, and John, like, all right, this is where we are right now. And, and how much we've over overcame as individuals, you know? So yeah, man, this is, it's definitely been a, a wonderful ex experience. Um, before we wrap up, 
we have a few questions to, to ask you, John, to get the listeners to know you more. But I have one more other question is you've you trained in Westside for a little bit before? Yes, sir. Right. So I guess being a bodybuilder and walking into that freaking, I don't even know what you call it. Maybe maybe that's Hell's Gates, you know, or that dungeon. What was your mindset like that and, and with Louie and the ways that those guys trained? And you're like, oh, you know, did it open up your mind to like a different world of, of training? or And did you take anything from Westside to help you in your bodybuilding career? Well, I went there um, to become a better bodybuilder, but also because I love powerlifting. And um, one of the things I've tried to do my whole life is surround myself with people who are smarter than I am, people who know more than I am. Mm-hmm. And Louie was one of those people. Louie's someone who knew a lot more than me. And so it was an opportunity for me to learn from him. And the approach I took when I went in there was I just shut up and listened. Like when I would show up, I'd say, hey, Louie, you know, how's it going? What do you want me to do today? Louie would give me my instructions and I would do it. And I didn't go, well, but this, but that. I shut up and I did what he said. I think that's what Louie liked about me because I always got along really well with him was I just would take direction. Like, I look, I would have been a good guy for the military because I respect authority. I respect people that have been there. And Louis was that guy for me. He was he had more experience than me. He knew more than me. So I'm going to shut up and just listen to what he has to say. And that's what I did. I went in there. I loved it. I worked hard. I did my work and I went home. And then I showed up the next time. Hey, Louis, what do you want me to do today? It was as simple as that. It was a really simple relationship. And I've always had the utmost respect for Louis. And he definitely made a huge impression on me um, in terms of training, training intensity, how hard you push yourself. Um, and things of that nature. Yeah, I, I think people need to realize that the uh, West Side and all and all that, and a lot of more and the powerlifting too is it's not just uh, you're developing more than just the lifts. You're developing that mindset as in learning and becoming a better individual and life lessons. You know, you've probably definitely walked out of there with some life lessons and. And some life experience um, instead of, you know, maybe improving your bench squat and deadlift or whatever it is. It's the ways, the ways you took and other things you learned instead of lifting. You know what I mean? Well, the other thing I really liked about Louis was um, he demanded uh, excellence. If you somehow got an invite to train there and then you went there to socialize and goof off, he kicked you out. He just kicked you out. He didn't make any bones about it. He just said, you're out of here. Like that's what he did. And so what happens when you have that kind of attitude at a gym like that, you end up just being around people who are really focused and committed. He didn't allow any goof offs in there. He's like, you know, if you want to go goof off, go over to, you know, wherever. So it was a great environment And anytime that environment, and this is kind of like with business too. I've made some mistakes in my businesses and as an entrepreneur too, like you hire people and you want to hire people with the same mindset. Like if you have, say, 10 employees and seven of them are really good, but three of them are not the, they just don't take it as serious or not the kind of person you want. Honestly, if you can't develop them and nothing's going to change, you got to move on. You got to replace them. Got to replace them. Yep. Yep. You just got to replace them. It's a hard decision, but that's, that's part of leadership. You have to do that. And in one of my businesses, uh, Granite Supplements, my supplement company, you know, I made some poor choices with people who I put in the company. And my company was burning to the ground because of because of the mistakes I made. And 
um, I learned my lesson the hard way in business. I lost a lot of money initially because of it. But then when I learned my lesson, I brought in the right people who had the same values that I had, had the same work ethic and people who wanted to head in a positive direction. My company completely changed. And in a year and a half, it turned around big time. But my point is, is that um, in Louis and in life and in businesses, you, you, you do really, and it's a cliche term, but you do really have to surround yourself with good people or it will backfire on you at some point. Back, back to the environment quote, right? Back to yeah. the product of your environment and the people that you surround yourself with and the world or the jungle, whatever you have in your mind that, that you're in, you know, it's, I don't want to say use the term killed or be killed, but it's, you know, think about like, if you, if this is your job and your life and you, you, you're in a jungle with these people to survive, you don't want, all right, a group of 10. And then those three people are going to get everyone hurt or injured or killed. You know what I mean? So that's, well, that's I think, a mindset. you know, my perspective was a lot of people would be like, Oh, John, I'm, I feel so bad for you. All those employees did some bad things. I didn't sit there and go, Oh man, those people are bad people. What I did was I said, what was I thinking? What kind of, mis like, you got to really own it. You know, there's so a, you took the responsibility. Yeah. I mean, and I, I read a book a couple of years ago uh, called extreme ownership um, by Jocko Willowink. You guys, I'm sure know who he is. Reading and it that, actually, that the whole book is about that. It's about yeah. not pointing fingers and blaming other people. It's about taking responsibility for your actions and it's real easy for people to point fingers. Oh, he did this, and especially in today's society. Everybody's blaming other people. It's like, take accountability for your actions. Yep. Like, your actions are what matter. And so I took accountability, and I said, you know, I made some very bad decisions. and, and But I learned from them, and I got better, and I didn't make them again. Yeah. Extreme ownership. Accountability. That's all. And I think that's what society's missing right now. Um, Big time. Yeah. Yes. Big um, I'm actually happy you said that. That's a book I'm reading right now, and you know, um, I'm learning a lot from it. So I always say I'm, I'm a, you know, huge believer in divine intervention. So, um, you know, me sitting here during this interview, listening to what you're saying, me actually reading a book that you just mentioned, uh, you know, there's a reason why I'm sitting in this interview and I'm listening to you and I'm reading this book at this particular time, because um, I've taken so much from today's interview. Uh, this has helped me tremendously, probably more ways than you could even imagine. Um, just yeah. by, it's very inspirational, um, and it's given me a um, a blueprint, you know, to kind of attack the things that I want to accomplish in life. So I, I, I want to personally thank you. Oh, I, no, man, my pleasure. I'm, I'm glad you guys had me on. Yeah, John. Th yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, before we wrap up, like I said, I was gonna we we're gonna ask you quick five questions. They're gonna be quick, so. Get that thinking cap on. One uh, main movement to do, compound movement to do for the rest of your life uh, with an accessory. What are you, what are you going with? Uh, trap bar squat. And then the accessory. Well, if you're thinking whole body, a trap bar squat. Um, and then then accessory exercise, you say? Yep. Um, probably a hack squat. I love hack squats. <laughs> Build out those legs. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah funny uh i i got i was telling you before we, we recorded uh 
if this was a if this is true or not, so don't quote me yet, is if you had one person to squat with that you haven't squatted with yet, you ever, you would want to squat with Eddie Cohen? Absolutely. He'd be number one on my list. Yep. There you go. Oh man. Yeah, we, yeah. it was a, a pleasure of, of having him on. Um so he said that I was like, You ever meet John? He said, No, but uh he said that one time and definitely like to make it happen. So my goal is hopefully to make that happen one day down the road. Um yeah, Eddie's phenomenal, man. He's the best in history. Uh, one, no, not one. I guess one or two movies that come to your head that you enjoy or your favorite. Well, I love concept movies. Um, okay. I love movies that surprise you too. Like a good concept movie would be like, there's a movie, I think it was called I think it was called Out of Time. And the concept of the movie was currency wasn't cash. It was actually minutes of life. Um, oh, it was like a Justin Timberlake movie. And like when you got on the bus, they would they would subtract like say 10 minutes from your life. Yep. Yeah. Well, this, yes. the, the concept of that was unbelievable. Yeah. I just love the concept of that. Right. And then like if in terms of um, – like movies that surprises you. Um, I'm a big fan of the movie, The, the Usual Suspects. Mm. It's, uh, uh, nice. If you haven't seen Usual Suspects, you have to see it. It's one of my top five of all time. He's probably one or two. And then I'm an action junkie. So there was a movie called Heat with Robert De Niro and Al Pacino and Val Kilmer and John Vaught and I could go on and on about all the people in that movie. And oh, that man. movie was straight awesome. That was a phenomenal movie. Pretty good choices, man. Pretty good choices. Yeah. Yeah, I even like, so I even liked um, an he's old got, He's movie. still going, look at it. <laughs> well, you, you see, I'm a movie buff too. I didn't tell you that. There was another movie I really enjoyed called Point Break, the original with Keanu Reeves. Yeah. Because of the concept, you had a group of guys going around robbing banks to finance summer vacations wearing ex-president masks. Yeah. <laughs> so conceptually, I thought, what a cool concept, right? Listen, um, there's, a, there's a lot of people named Brody. And, and, <laughs> so, yeah. That is a classic. Yeah. Your favorite uh, type of music genre, or if you had one song to put on that you're going to hit a PR? Oh boy. Um, I don't listen to music at the gym. Um, I never wear headphones. Um, oh boy. I like to listen to stuff on the way to the gym and get fired up, but this is probably going to surprise you. So normally I would listen to, um, I like movie soundtracks. So like, remember the Titans is a movie with a great soundtrack. Um, you know, uh, Gladiator is a movie with a great soundtrack. Any kind of the Hans Zimmer stuff. There's a movie called Crimson Tide that had Gene Hackman and Denzel Washington in it. And it's got, I love that real powerful music. I don't need to hear words. I just like that really powerful music. Um, if you just look up Hans Zimmer stuff, he's done a lot of that. When I leave here, I'm going to download What's that? Say that uh, again. The Crimson Tide soundtrack. I'm going to download that one. So the, that so there's a song on there. Um, I think it's well, you'll know when you hear it. It builds up and gets real powerful. I use that posing music for many years competing, actually. Okay. Um, in the movie, it's where they dive. The sub is gone, then they dive, and they start playing this dramatic music, and then the sub dives. Phenomenal movie, great movie. 
Yeah, but here lately, um, it's actually been the um, Christian local station we have here. I feel like some of the events that are going on today, like you kind of feel stressed out about it, particularly the virus and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I find that when I listen to the Christian music, when I'm on the way to the gym, I find that it relieves the stress. I, I start to think about life a little differently. And I just feel better from it. It lifts my spirits listening to that. And so here lately, I've been listening for probably about the last three months, I've been listening more to that. Um, and yeah. so it's been a little different, but it just makes me feel better. Yeah, my heart of music to keep the, keep the spirit up. I'm yeah. all about it. Uh, that's, yeah. that's the first one we've got on that. And I, yeah. I like that. I haven't, didn't think we would, we would hear that one, but that, that was good. Uh, one of those guys but i saw like a funny thing it's like if you're if you're lifting with no music on or whatever it is online then you're looking to uh, avenge someone's death or something like that you know just really <laughs> no music <laughs> uh one meal one meal to eat same meal for the rest of your life it could be healthy it could be unhealthy uh probably pancakes oh nope. all right Reg- just regular or anything in them um i like <laughs> chocolate chip blueberry banana nut um carrot cake sure, man, <laughs> man you, that that could be look at it, it could be john meadows pancake shop we can think of something yeah on the road open that in new york city that'd be a hit uh one person that, to meet that uh they are either alive or dead to meet and hang out with who would it be keanu reeves ah awesome i have, oh. I have so much respect for the way he treats people for the causes that he has if you do a little research on Keanu Reeves, you'll be extremely impressed by the kind of human being he is. One He's of my par- human being. One of my partners, he saw him in Washington Heights. He was he, uh, he he saw him there, and he was filming or whatever. And he just said he saw him and walked by, said hello, and they chatted for like five minutes, like a normal person. And then he went on oh. his way. Yeah, like it was really really cool. And that brings yeah. me back to like an old school episode of South Park where they have a golden statue of Keanu Reeves. And it's just so funny. <laughs> I got to so see that. It's a really good episode. Yeah. It's funny. I think yeah. I'm trying to remember if it was a Lord of the Rings. They were making fun of that or something. I forgot what they were making, what they were doing, but they had that in there. Um, <laughs> if you, if you came to the last question, if you come to New York, me and Jay are like, all right, John, we have a uh, time machine. Any history you could go Egyptian time, Greek time. You can go 30 years ago. Where are you going to go? To who you oh, are man. now, the same the same John you are right now. Ooh. Oh good, man, I might I might go back to the Roman times. Um, that's my that's my period. That's what I would try to go back to. Yeah, you and, you and Caesar hanging out. And you, yeah, you yeah, yeah. I would love to see that, man. I'm a huge history buff, so uh, and one of the greatest empires the world has ever seen. I would I would love to be around it, just to you know be a fly on the wall for some of the things that were going on then. I actually named one of my sons. I know it's not quite the exact same, but I named him after Alexander the Great. Oh, you know what? Alexander the Great is one of my favorite conquerors of all time. Yeah, yeah. At a young age, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's huge, huge on like on, on my like conquerors list. He's just one yeah. of those guys. I I met somebody from Macedonia, and when they went back, I had them bring me um a um. They have like this little crest that they have that was part of his empire, and they brought me back one. So oh, like, that's, that's phenomenal. That's history. awesome. Yeah. Okay, that's phenomenal. I love that. Well, John, it was an honor and a pleasure to have you on the show, man. Um, 
I'll send you everything when it goes up. It'll be on uh, major uh, podcast platforms and also on YouTube. So we know, again, thank you for taking your time to come on with us. Uh, my name is Frank. You know where to find me. Reps underscore four underscore responders. And also, as we said in the beginning episode, we now have the Inside the Lab all underscores podcast uh, on Instagram. So check that out. And Jay, where can they find you at, man? Back on my original Instagram now, the real Jumpman Jay. Um, I'm very thankful for today's uh, interview. Um, I took a lot of notes. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm going to, it's just put a little battery in my back. I'm going to hit the ground running tomorrow because. I took a lot of gems from this podcast. It's probably one of the better ones that I that I that I've been a part of because I actually was, you know, very intrigued about your story and how you became successful. And um, you're a person that I look up to. So I I, I seriously thank you for uh, for you know being a part of the interview. Oh, my pleasure, guys. I'm, I had a, I really enjoyed it. I love. I'm so glad we talked about this instead of eating chicken and rice. This is much more enjoyable. And I'm, I'm super glad you guys had me on. Thanks, John. Where, and where can they find you on social media or Instagram or website or anything? Uh, my YouTube is uh, Mountain Dog One. And my Instagram is also Mountain Dog One. And my website is mountaindogdiet.com. And I'm on Facebook too, under just John Meadows. So. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Not the mountain. Don't look up Mountain Dog on uh, Facebook. You're not gonna find a, you're not gonna find a, a big dog up there. So, <laughs> thank you, thank you so much, John. And uh, before before we go, I always just take a picture of of all of us with our thumbs up, just to have for for a memory. So, all right, thumbs we'll get, up. We'll get that going. Whatever you want to do, right. you can you can flip us off if you didn't like us or whatever you want to do. So, all right, John. Thank you so much, man. You have a great day and. Uh, blessings to the rest of the year and, and hopefully we cross paths again one day thank you Jay. all right same to you fellas jason frank thanks a bunch guys have a good have one, a great brother. day bye now